Today is Sunday, August 18th, 2019, and I am so happy to be here with you. I get to preach a sermon with my firstborn son today. Man, what an exciting day for me. What an exciting day here in the house. Look, we have the Stevens family. They are in Peru right now with Pastor Eric and Jen and Abby are there with the Brassos and Ihad to Peru. I just want to tell you on camera, uh, Pastor Ricardo, we love you. We love you, Pastor Ricardo and Kim and Jules. And uh, it's an exciting time there with uh, Pastor Stevens. You guys want to hear something crazy? The One Association Conference is only 53 days away. So let's spend this time from now until then getting fired up. Let's bring the fire to that conference. Amen? Amen. Church, we're in the midst of a thousand generation series. This is such an important time for our church. I mean, as you could see, this is on a Sunday, we actually have more limited age spaces than we do on a Wednesday. This is not the total number of kids that you saw up on this stage. This is an important season for us. These are the kind of days that when we will look back in the years to come, we're going to realize how many pivotal, foundational, and important components that God was adding to us. You don't want to miss what God is doing right now. Amen. Let's turn to Genesis 17, starting in verse 3. Good place to start. It says this, Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, but your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you, for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Church, this is such a pivotal passage of scripture. It's one that marked all of history of mankind. It's part of why we are talking about investing and setting our sights on a thousand generations. And you understand what we're saying by a thousand generations, right? We're saying forever. We're saying that you and your children and your children's children from now until the Lord comes back, from now until he sets up his kingdom, what we're saying is we've got to get after this thing forever for a thousand generations. God invests in one generation to accomplish something through the generations. Now, you may be understanding we're we're about two weeks into our thousand generation series. We're like, no, pastor, we're getting it. No, I can assure you that we are not yet getting it. See, because no one talks like this. There's not been a church that I know of. I'm, I'm sure across the world that the Lord has given this revelation to other people. But this is not something that we go around thinking. What is the Lord doing in your life? Why is he moving in you today? Why does he move us the way he does at the altar? Why does he call to us the way he does? Because he's desiring to reach the generations. He's desiring to reach someone more than you. He's trying to get to you so that he might get to your children and your children's children. See, what he's doing, Gabriel Ares, is something that's so special. What most of the Christian world is saying, Lord, what can you do for me? Lord, gimme, gimme, gimme. My name is Jimmy because this is what I need. I need something from you, Lord. What we are trying to do is shift our entire DNA as a church and say, yes, you absolutely need something from the Lord. But why? So that you can transmit it, so that you can pass it on, so that you can do something with it more than just sit on your salvation. This is what we're trying to get at. See, because in this passage, God makes a covenant. He makes a promise to Abram. See, what we like to focus on this passage is that Abram had his name changed. Come on, somebody say name changed. Boy, we like that part. We know what that means. That's something special. But what else does he say in this passage? God is going to make him very fruitful. Anybody want to be very fruitful in this place? Yeah, me too. He's going to make nations come of this man. He's going to make kings come from him. What, are you, what is destined to come from you and your family? Is it going to be nations? Are you going to raise up kings and queens in your own house? Yes, in fact, we are. Because we're of the same material, we are to be of the same faith, the same foundation that Abraham had. But his whole point was that God was making a covenant with Abraham and God and Abraham's descendants after him. 
That is such an easy thing for us. We go, yeah, we know that. We knew that. No, none of us did. None of us had the revelation of this before just recently. We're looking at it and going, wait, 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 wait. I'm, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Put your name in this place right now. I'm going to make a covenant with you and your descendants. Well, that changes everything about what we're reading. He says, I will be their God. We're going to have spiritual and natural sons and daughters in this place. That's why these messages don't just relate to you if you're in your childbearing years. It relates to every single person in this place. If you're a single person, you're looking at raising up spiritual sons and daughters. If you've already raised children, you're looking at seeing what you can do to impact the kingdom by raising spiritual sons and daughters. Come on, you may be like the young treesters raising a whole flock of boys. You may be like the young Stevens doing the same. You may be like the Reusaurus raising all sons, at least for now. Yo, and speaking of that, my boy Ethan turned 16 this week. Come on now. What? 16. He's a grown man. What in the world? That's incredible. You might be like the Ruedas, raising the most beautiful little daughters around. You could be as blessed as the Ariases to have both sons and daughters. Or you could be like the Sutherlands and have both a son and daughters. I want my girls to come up. I want all my girls to come up. I don't know who she was thinking I was talking to. Y'all come on up here. That's my girl. This is the original, my girl. <laughs> See, when the Lord blesses you and increases your numbers, when he opens and gives you the fruit of the womb, this is special. <laughs> I know it's my family and I know I'm completely prejudiced towards them. But this is special to be able to have a son and daughters in this house, whether you have sons or daughters or both, or you're trying to find spiritual sons and daughters. This message today is for you. See, the Bible says that sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a reward from him. We got a lot of rewards going on in this place today. We got a lot of families that are being rewarded with natural children. And I know we got some that are going to be soon, hopefully very soon, joining in on the party there. As a church, we are overly and intentionally committed to a masculine holiness. We're going to talk most of the days about raising your sons. But I have daughters too. The Bible says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, and everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, that the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. See, when you have sons and daughters, you get to both give and receive. See, it is my great honor as a father to raise up daughters who I will give to another man and to another family banner one day. You can't raise your hand right now. This is not what we're, we're trying. Someone on the front row is trying to set this up right now as we're speaking. Hold your horses. These are mine for a little bit longer. I'm just saying. It is my great joy, like everything in the kingdom, to lay down your own life that you might be able to give to someone else that which they need. See, Christy and I are working very hard to raise daughters who are going to be the right kind of wives. I can't wait for the godly, anointed, ministerial husband that Olivia's going to have. That's what I'm raising her to be. She's going to be such a good pastor's wife. She is already so full of integrity. See, I'm raising Anna to be a minister's wife one day. I can't wait to, to, to watch her go on the mission field. We were in Indonesia with the Vincents last year, about this time. We came back almost on this day last year. And I remember we were there for just a few days, and Anna was like, Dad, I could live here. And I was like, of course you can. Because that's what we're raising our children to do. 
man, whether we get to keep a son that keeps our name or to give our daughters away. This is what we are. This is what the goal is. It is to give them away. I think about, I think about Judah and Sasha on the front row. And I got to tell you, if I weren't the godly man that I am, I might be a little bit jealous of, of, that, of that creation there. <laughs> Having a Stevens and an Aragina merge into one family. That's just not, that's almost not fair. <laughs> Except that it's exactly the goal. It is the goal. See, I, I love, my, I love my, my friends, the Stevens. They're always setting an example. They couldn't have possibly orchestrated this to try to teach a lesson, but their very lives teach us lessons. What are you raising? What are you raising in your own home? See, we get to live on display for everybody. Our lives are on display because the Lord has ordained it to be this way. Man, I am so proud of my girls. I'm so proud of this family, and I'm so proud to be a part of your family. Amen? Amen. Thank you, guys. See, LCM is and will continue to be a church that is focused on each individual life in front of us. The one life right there in front of us. That one life will become one family. And that family will grow through intense discipleship. Somebody say intense. Yeah, because there is no other kind of discipleship. Attaching themselves to the way of life that is offered here. Diving into the word, learning to be led by the power of the Holy Spirit until we can each either launch others or be launched into the nations. That is the goal. That is why you're here. You get one of two categories to be in. You're the bow that you get to launch people or you're the arrow being launched. But that's your only two choices to be here. Man, we need a lot of bows in this place because we sure do have a lot of arrows to send out. This is both an explanation of our accomplishments as a church and a clear description of our ongoing pursuit. You're either going to be sent out or you're helping to send others out. That is what we have done and that is what we will do. We will not be satisfied until we are able to achieve this, but not just in a singular fashion. We want to achieve this generation after generation after generation, growing in import with each successive iteration of it. Church, it's time to circle up. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, circle up. up. Pull your family close. Let's implement what God is setting before us. There's no more time for self-pity in this place. No time for myopic families, distracted living, or conviction-less existences. It's time to tell you the title of today's sermon. The sermon is entitled... Kick the tires and light the fires and light the fires. Come on. Now, if you're like me, you may not be as familiar with this term right here. Kick the tires and light the fires. It's an aviation term, you know, for fighter pilots. Um, And kick the tires. What that means is you've gone through all of your your pre-flight checklist. You know, everything's in order. You're all fueled up, everything to go. Your plane's in shalom. You kick the tires to make sure air is in it. And then it's time to light the fires. Lighting the fires, you turn on the afterburners, and you get up and going to where God's called you to go. Amen. Today, we're going to kick the tires and light the fires. Come on, it's a good time to do that. Church, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 9. It says this, Know therefore... That the Lord your God is God. I want to encourage you today. I felt like where we were at the beginning of worship, as crazy as this sounds, is we needed to be reminded. We need to know that our God is God. See, there are some things that we can understand in our minds, but they're different in our hearts. They're different when we have our eyes hanging down instead of lifting up our eyes to the heavens. He is the faithful God. Come on, somebody say faithful God. Faithful God. Keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Come on now. We have a a covenant of love that we are getting to live up to, that we're getting to be a part of. To a thousand generations of those who love him. And we know that the scripture teaches us that if you love, you will do what? You'll obey. 
So if we're going to obey because we love and keep his commands, we're going to shamar. We're going to guard. We're going to fight for it. Somebody say fight for it. Fight for it. See, what I can feel in this room is that we don't need you to understand a thousand generations just with your mind. We're not trying to convince you something of a concept, of an axiom, of a phrase that you should walk around and throw about and banter about between one another. We're saying that you're going to have to fight for this. A few years ago when this church began to get a revelation of this concept in a deeper way, can I tell you, it was the most hellacious onslaught that this church has ever seen. And you know what it was about? The generations. What are we asking you to do as a church? We're not asking you to talk about a thousand generations. We're asking you to rise up and fight to be a part of the thousand generations. To live and die every single day. To die that you might live every single day. To get at the heart of this. See the word generations in this passage is the Hebrew word door. It's the idea of a circle or to surround something. Somebody say circle up. Circle up. When you're pouring grain on the floor, the shape that it makes as you're pouring grain is a circle. From the heavenly perspective looking down, it's talking about a circle. But from our perspective, we see that things need to build over the course of time. We're able to see both. We've got to heap it up. We've got to pile it up. We've got to circle it up. Because this doesn't happen by itself. You can't just sit back, Daniel, and watch this thing happen. You've got to go be forceful and make it happen every day in your life. How are you going to reach the thousand generations if we sit back? We got to circle our families up. We got to gather them together. We got to instruct our kids. We got to get ready for the fight because it's coming, church. We are in such a good season. We are in such a good season of reaping what God's benefits are. But I can tell you there is a fight coming. You think the enemy is going to want to just let us sit back and be like, sure, go ahead and take a thousand generations. Go ahead and take as much as you want. This is a battle. You are going to have to battle, and you're going to have to teach your kids how to battle, and you're going to have to teach your grandkids how to battle. Because that's what God is doing. From heaven's perspective, we've got to be able to increase what God has given us. Everybody, let's turn to 1 Chronicles 16, starting in verse 15. Say thousand generations when you're there. Thousand generations. It says, he remembers his covenant forever. The word he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant he made with Abraham. The oath he swore to Isaac. And he confirmed it to Jacob as a decree to Israel. As an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as a portion you will inherit. Can you hear the theme here? Is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's promising it to a thousand generations. Anytime you hear a thousand generations in the word, it's not literally just 40,000 years, right? That's a long time to think about, but it's, it's meaning forever. That, that's what God is saying. When he makes a promise to us, he makes a promise to us forever. The word here for generations is also door to circle up, surround, or pile up. Uh, let's take a look at this slide real quick. You should be familiar with this slide. This was a few weeks ago as Pastor Eric began this teaching on a thousand generations. We're just reminding you of it today. This idea of circling up. We're looking at this picture and we can see that the smallest one right in the dead center. That's going to represent Abram. Abraham for us who started this out. See what a contrary thing to our world. They wants to have a singular great man. See, this is a singular great man who started something, and then what happens? The next ring is Isaac. Isaac, whose one family was changed and began the seeds of a nation. And then what happens? The next man is to be greater. It's the nation of Israel, the man Jacob, whose family was a nation and began the seeds of global salvation. You see how it's supposed to go out? You get large, it gets larger and larger and larger as you go forward in time. Over the course of time, your families are supposed to grow in strength and in fervor. Have you thought about that? See, Chris Rayuzora is raising young men and soon a young lady 
who's supposed to be more passionate than him, who's supposed to be more capable than he is. See, when we're talking about circling up the generations, you got to gather them together. Anybody ever had story time in your house? Come on, kids, let's gather around. Grab your blankies, grab your pillows, let's gather around. See, even by when we say gather, what do you think about? You think about a circling motion of gathering something together. See, it's not just story time, though. See, may, maybe you uh, were raised in a better way than I was, but I remember some of the circles that I got into were not about telling stories. I remember having some circles right outside my own house growing up because I lived in the hood. No, it's true. That's not even figurative. That is a literal hood that I lived in. And sometimes you had to fight just to get back inside your own house. See, there's different kinds of circling up here. And what we're talking about is to gather your family. It's to instruct them. It's to teach them the stories of God. And it's to teach them to get ready to fight. That's what we mean when we're saying it's time to kick the tires, folks. It's time to light the fires. You can't just stay sitting back and have God move in you. Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 41. This will be an even better word as you begin to put it into practice. Ezekiel chapter 41 and verse 7. Let's look at what the scripture says. Can we do this in the NASBY? Is that what it is? Amen. Look at joy. Awesome. The side chambers surrounding the temple were wider at each successive story. Because the structure surrounding the temple went upward by stages on all the sides of the temple. Therefore, the width of the temple increased as it went higher. This is the picture of the temple. A temple that is yet to be built. A temple that will be in the days ahead. And you know what it's saying? It's saying it starts in one place and it grows and grows and grows as it goes upward. You don't think that's supposed to be a picture for us? This is what your lives are supposed to look like. This is what my life is supposed to look like. As it goes through the generations, it's supposed to be expanding. It's supposed to be enlarging. It's supposed to be getting stronger and better. Man, if we're going to increase as we go along, which, by the way, is the plain reading of the text. There's nothing secretive about this. It just plainly states it. It's just that no one around us is demanding this of us. No one is holding that flaming sword of a standard before us and saying, this is what you must do. If we're going to increase as the generations progress, we've got to learn to circle up. We've got to learn to be able to fight together, to rally our families together. Somebody say, it's time to rally. It's time to rally. And you've got to rally with your families. Let's look at Exodus chapter 32. Exodus thirty-two twenty-five. Moses saw that the people were running wild. And that Aaron had let them get out of control. Uh-oh. And so becoming a livestock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Man, this idea of circling up your family, isn't this right here what we're seeing? Moses says, if you're going to do it, circle up with me. Come fight with me. Come rally to me. And then Levites became the, priest, the priestly line because they rallied to the Lord. And they rallied to his appointed leaders with no reservation, with no other thought than rallying to what the Lord was doing. Guys, we've got to rally up our families. We've got to circle up. We've got to teach them how to kick the tires and light the fires in this place. Amen. Everybody, let's go to Isaiah 11, verse 10. This is good. Get it. It says this. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. See, this is the passage of what victory will look like in the millennial reign. God planned from just one man, then one nation, then the entire world coming and following him. Amen. The nations are rallying to him. The generations are supposed to be ramping up and circling up. Everyone's supposed to be getting more intense as the days grow darker. We're supposed to be getting and shining brighter as a light while these days are darker. But we're always growing off the original foundation, the faith of Abraham. And speaking of foundations, uh, 
when we were putting together this word, we, we found something pretty cool. Let's put this uh, slide on the screen. So this is a very foundational teaching in our church. It's Abigail traits, right? So these are my dad's. You know, my dad is full of integrity. He has a clarity and wisdom that I know has helped all of us out at some point. You know, coming to him like, I don't know what to do. This situation is just way too big for me. It's like, it's, it's just that. And you feel really dumb. Uh, he has a shepherd's heart. And I think that's pretty easy to see, to, to pastor the flock that God's given him. He's very diligent in every matter. Everything that he does, he will do excellent. And he's a bringer of shalom. So as a family, a few months ago, we began, began to be very, very important to me. See, we're not just committed to teaching you things. We're trying to live these things before you. So when we tell you, husbands, that you should share your Abigail traits with your wife every single day, do you know what your pastors do? We share our Abigail traits with our wives every day. I don't know if that surprises you or not, because you're really, really quiet right now. What we decided to do was start to look at the Abigail traits of our kids, because I, I realized that if me speaking as a husband to my wife, I need to build her up. I need to strengthen her every single day without fail. Without fail. Not just when things are going poorly, not just when we're in an argument. Actually, that's, I should have already been doing it so many more times. I realized, wow, I've got daughters in the house. You know what would be helpful? If I started saying my daughter's Abigail traits to them right now. Whoever gets to marry my daughters, whatever, in this case, men, man with each of these daughters, you're welcome. You're welcome. And so what I asked my son to do as well was say, hey, I want you to go and pray and find your Abigail traits. I want you to actually inquire of the Lord and hear from him and come back and tell me what the Lord told you. And then I'll share my traits with you. I want to show you what it looked like when Gabriel came back and did not know what my traits were. So... As Gabe came back, I don't know if you can notice on the screen, numbers 1, 3, and 5 are exactly the same. 1, 3, and 5 are exactly the same as my Abigail traits that I asked the Lord to show me. By the way, number 2 is Christy. Number 4 is just him. (laughs) If we're supposed to be going through the generations, I don't show this to you except for this one reason. I think this is exactly what it's supposed to be. I didn't ask him to to do traits that I thought. I didn't show him. I didn't prompt him. What I said is, you go hear from the Lord and see what the Lord tells you. And what the Lord told him was, he apparently put him in the right family. Amen. What the Lord showed him was, is that what one generation has been given, he's supposed, you're supposed to give that to the next generation. Why? So that they can go further and better. At 19, I assure you I didn't have... A, I wasn't on a stage like this at 19. I didn't have an understanding of what God had made me to do at 19. Or 29. (laughs) Or maybe even a little bit later than that. But what the Lord is doing, this is how it's supposed to be. How is this supposed to happen unless you circle up? How is this supposed to happen unless you say, let me show you the preparation. But only preparation is only good enough for one thing. To prepare you to go do something. You can't just keep sitting there and being prepared. I'm just preparing, Dad. I'm just preparing. At some point, you got to do something. Or the preparation is worthless. The goal of the preparation is that you might accomplish the will of the Father. Man, this is an incredible thing. We are supposed to be growing off of an original foundation. You see this in a very, very limited way between the two men that are standing before you. Let's turn to Isaiah 54. Let's see what the Scripture might say about this in a much larger perspective. Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 1. It It says this. Seeing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child... Burst into song and shout for joy, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her, uh, of her who has a husband, says the Lord. 
Are you hearing this? This is a prophecy from Isaiah to his own people. But the metaphor that's being used is what? A once barren woman who will become a mother of many children. Look at verse 2. Enlarge the place of your tent. Somebody say enlarge. Enlarge. Stretch your tent curtains out wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. Man, I think this is a word of the Lord for this church. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch it out. Don't hold back. Let's go after this. You who were once barren, those areas in your life where you still may feel barren, you can have more than enough children if you continue to press forward. Prepare for the harvest now. Man, you need to kick these tires. you got to prepare it right now because the fires of your generation are going to be lit up in Jesus' name. But pastor, see, we don't need the extra space right now. I mean, we're doing okay. I mean, we have what we need right now. Yeah, of course you do. But you won't. When all of your generations come in. See, if you're looking at it today, you're like, this is all the space that I need. Yeah, but if you're thinking about the generation, after generation, you know what you need to do? You got to enlarge the place where you're hanging out. You got to stretch out and let the Lord and prepare a place for the Lord to come in. You will need the places that he's going to allow you to expand into now. With the perspective of a thousand generations, you're going to have to stretch out and you got to do it now. Look at verse 3. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Man, are you excited to have kids? Yeah, we are as a church, apparently. But you have to have the perspective that your kids are supposed to dispossess nations. See, when you think about them and then they're just in this cute little bundle of joy that you have. You've got to keep looking at them that this is going to be one who dispossesses nations. That this is one who will settle in desolate places. This is one who will change an inheritance for an entire group of people. This is what we must continue to put before us. Look at verse 4. Do not be afraid. You will not suffer shame. Wow, let that wash over you for a second. The reason that thinking about a thousand generations is so difficult is because it demands faith of us at all times. It demands that you not get lost in a fog of despondency. That you not get discouraged because today isn't what you thought today would be. You got to get your eyes up, church. You got to look forward. You got to be able to go, God is with me. And none who put their hope in the Lord will ever be put to shame. See, the problem is, is we lose hope. The problem is, is our faith wanes. The problem is, is we get discouraged because it's not happening today. Today is not even the goal. You've got to keep your eyes on the prize of what God has for you. Do not be afraid. You will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. I mean, listen to what the Lord, word of the Lord is saying to you, church. I don't even mean collectively. I mean you as an individual. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember, and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is His name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. Come on, church. Man, no one goes on plowing and threshing forever. There's a season that you got to start reaping. You got to get out there and do what you're supposed to do. In a season of reaping like we are in, it is time for you to stretch out. It is time for you to press forward. I know that we need this word today because I felt what it felt like when we walked in the room. Like you're going to sit back and allow this thing to happen. You got to fight for it. Pastor, no, you got to fight for it. But I fought for it yesterday. Praise God, then just do it again. You do it until you win. But I'm tired. Amen. Let his strength be upon you. Don't tell me that you're tired. Don't tell me that you're worn out. You got to keep fighting. Because it's worth it. It's worth it to fight here. Come on, it's time to circle up your family. It's time to rally them to your side. It's time to kick the tires and 
Light, Light the, the fires. fires. Let's read in verse 13. It says, All your sons will be taught by the Lord, and great will your children's peace be. In righteousness you will be established. Tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed. It will not come near you. If anyone does attack you, it will not be my doing. And whoever attacks you will surrender to you. Come on, guys. This is a great word. This is a great word because it allows us not to be kicking the tires forever. It allows us not to just sit around kicking the tires hoping the enemy doesn't attack us. See, what the word says is that we will be victorious and we will be triumphant. When we light the fires and just get going and just get after what the Lord has called us to do, the Bible says that we will have victory. Amen. Stretching out in faith means that all your sons will be taught by the Lord. Woo. Stretching out your faith will mean that your children will have peace in the land because they're making peace. Amen. Hey, man, think about that for just a second. When you think of all your sons will be taught, let's just do a, a game here for just a second. Think about it and be honest with yourself. All your sons will be taught. Do you think about only the ones that are in your house today? You do, don't you? All your sons, you're like, amen, all three of my sons will be taught. My one son and my two daughters will be taught. Isn't he saying that he's going to teach your son and your son's sons and all the sons and daughters that come after them? Do you see how we want to compress this down to what our household is today? And the Lord is demanding and saying, I'm going to teach all of your sons, all the ones that will come from you. This is what he's saying here, and he's guaranteeing it. Your sons can be taught because you're enlarging the place of your tent. The Lord has enabled the fathers in here to build a house where the sons can dwell in. That's why they can be taught the ways of the Lord is because you are building a house for them to be taught in. Let's read in verse 16. See, it is I who created the blacksmith, who fans the coals into flame and forges weapons fit for its work. No weapon forged against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Guys, again, victory is guaranteed, but so is weapons that are getting forged against us. We will face opposition, but victory is guaranteed. The Lord promises a heritage and vindication for those who are servants of his house. Church, we're not just trying to preach a message to you today. We're trying to live a message before you. You're seeing two men who are walking in what God put us on the planet to do. This is, this is what we've been designed to do, to make people bold and stout-hearted, to equip you for understanding what God is trying to do for you today. This is an incredible thing. There are going to be incredibly difficult times because we are aiming our lives towards the generations. It's going to require a fight. It requires us being a band of survivors. It requires us becoming master ship builders. It, be, it requires that we shamar what God has given us. That we come out of a desert of dependency. That we have zero faith, no holds bar, a no reserve kind of faith in this house. See, what God has taught us, those are just a few of the titles of the sermons from 2019. What is the Lord giving us in this place? These are treasures from heaven. What are you doing with it? Are you putting these things into practice every day? These difficult times that are ahead as we aim at the generations. There are going to be setbacks. There's going to be discouraging moments. There's going to be seemingly hopeless times. But we have to stand in the promises that God has given us. No weapon forged against you. Do you realize that there can be weapons that are forged against you? Formed to try to take you down. Find out where your weaknesses are. Do you run away from the church every time you get a hangnail? That might be a weapon forged against you. I got a headache. I can't go to church today. Wow, that's a, that's a pretty baby weapon there. See, oh, that's not me, Pastor. That's funny because it's not me. Are you fighting against each other in the shalom in your own home? 
Do you allow that to derail what you're trying to do and what God is trying to accomplish in your life? Are you so focused on the finances that you have? See, I could do this all day. I could just walk, I could just look around the room and just start picking you off. Or you could start realizing that maybe some of these are just weapons of the enemy that have been forged against you. Every little bit of discouragement and you come completely off the rails. How are you going to reach a thousand generations like that? We're going to do it together. Because he promises an inheritance and vindication from himself. Man, if we would just have just a little bit of faith in this house. I mean, just a little bit. Just waking up to what the Lord is, has already done and will do. Not losing faith the first time you get the thought about it. But standing up, casting down the thoughts, and running with the purpose for what God has. Man, you got to light the fire on the inside of you. Why do y'all always talk about fighting? Because that's what it takes to advance in the kingdom. If I waited till I felt like it, until I fought for the kingdom, I might not ever fight for the kingdom. Luckily, I don't have to go by what I feel. I don't have to even go by what I think. I'm just going to say, Lord, you said this, and I will set my will exactly on what you said, because your strength will be with me. I feel great today. Fine, I'll fight. I don't feel great today. I'm still fighting. Because there's a thousand generations that are counting on me to do this. Church, it is time to kick those tires, but you've got to light the fires inside of you today. Amen. The fight is very good for us. It teaches us how to win. I want to share with you guys a story real quick. And this is, uh, it's about a generational furnace. We've been talking about how we get purified through the generations. We learn how to fight and become better as we go along. See, and this is, this is something that, that changed my life. So we started off in 2014. We got here um, just a couple months into the church, right? And we went on this Mexico missions trip. Me, Pastor Eric, Gabe, my dad. And we went, and we went on a scouting trip. And uh, Pastor Matt's truck, actually, now. And, man, we were having a great time. Super easy. We didn't see a lot of cartel going on. Just, just having fun, eating food, hanging out. And we were driving around to see where we would go ministry. You guys know the dumps. You, you guys have been there. Uh, trying to see those people and see, like, what's going on? What's the conditions of their heart? And as we were driving around, we got stuck. Right? Like, that big truck, that got stuck. And I mean, like, really stuck. Like, super stuck. Right? We were there for 22 hours trying to get this truck out of the mud. See, when we got stuck, we got out. You know, it was raining a lot. We got in knee-deep water trying to push it out, and we realized that it may not have been entirely water. It's a really crappy situation. Um, but yeah, it was pretty bad. But we had, it, I mean, we, we snapped axles in half trying to get us out. Uh, there were cartel guys trying to see if they could get something out of us. They saw how stuck we were, and they just turned around and left. Um, but let's put up this slide. See, we finally got the truck out. So after, after all that, I got to watch our pastors demonstrate what it means to have a good foundation in Christ. They were tired. They were dirty. We all wanted to take like 17 showers when we got home. That's true. But they never stopped ministering to the people around them. They showed consistency in work, and they, they showed me what a good foundation looks like, right? And so we got it out. We were all excited. I'm like, yeah, I can go home and take a shower. It'd be great. Well, let's go to the next slide. So this is the next thing that happened, right? So we finally get it out, out of the mud, and then the tires popped. And the thing is, is we don't have a jack, so, actually, no, we did have a jack. We had a little bottle jack, you know, like what you use for a Prius, like, like that. And so we had to get cinder blocks and fence slats, and, and once we finally got this tire off, we found some good news. There was, there was a tire shop a couple miles down the road. Um, and, and so we had to start rolling that tire. Yeah, so when he says we, his little 14-year-old self, and others that were present, when it was we, the tire was far too big and too heavy 
for these guys. We found a wheelbarrow that also had a flat tire (laughs) rolling it down Mexican roads that were completely bumpy. And these men tried, but they could only get it about five or six feet before the tire would just fall out of the wheelbarrow. That's about their contribution to us getting it to the tire shop. True story, man. Yeah. And so... You know, like I said, as I was watching the pastors do this, (laughs) right, I I started thinking to myself, uh, I I had a thought, and it was something that never, never really thought about before. I've been in church my whole life, but it was this thought of, is Christ worth it? See, is Christ worth this kind of life to me? Is is he worth me going through all these trials and refinement and all of this? Is he worth it to me? Is he worth it? See, that, that's, that's something that trials produced is it makes, you, it makes you think about that. It makes you think about these things and set deep convictions. It's, it's kind of unusual for a, a father to be able to see the moment when his son changes from being a boy to being a man. This was that moment in Gabriel's life. He was never the same after this when he decided. See, I didn't know that he was wrestling with, is this really worth it or not? I didn't know what his answer was going to be. I just knew that we were going to keep moving forward. That he needed these moments. And I saw him transform in a moment. See, on the way back from the tire shop, what Eric and I were taking turns of just doing the wheelbarrow for, for a mile at a time, a mile apiece. One of us was exchanging to switch and give each other a break for just a few seconds. And Gabriel slipped right in front of both me and Eric, latched onto the wheelbarrow, and struggled with it, not 10 feet, but about a half a mile. There was a switch that turned in him that said, it's worth it. Man, what an incredible, an incredible thought of being able to see that. See, there's a generational furnace that happens with trials and hardship. As We get brighter, the enemy will try to attack us even more. My family, don't shy your kids away from trial and hardship. It's the very thing that instills deep convictions in us that can stand for eternity. Don't shy your kids away from things that will be hard. Let them work it out. Let them wrestle with it because it makes them strong and it makes them able to do more more than you can do. See, I had that conviction after this, that he is worth it. No matter what it costs in my life, can't be as bad as that. That's what I thought at the moment, you know. (laughs) But no matter what it costs, he is worth it. Guys, it took me kicking the tire, very literally, to light my fires. (laughs) Come on, think about where would Gabe be today if I hadn't taken him on that trip? If that would have been just too much for the 14-year-old. If we would have somehow allowed him to escape the moment of it being difficult, why don't you go sit over there? No, we're, we're, you're going to be thigh deep in this, whatever this water is, with me. Go grab a shovel. We don't have any more shovels. You got hands. Start digging. Where would he be? I can tell you that he wouldn't be here. I mean, he wouldn't be here. If I hadn't let him be in the center of every minute of difficulty of adversity, if I hadn't circled up my own son and had him close to me in the most difficult days that he had been a part of, it's not enough for me to go through something. It's no longer in my mind, can I make it through this? It's can I bring my son and my daughters with me? Can I find other spiritual sons and bring them with me to teach them how to get through this, to watch them, to show them that you just don't quit until the job is done? Adversity is not your problem, church. You quitting in the midst of adversity is your problem. You need your children and your spiritual sons and daughters to have adversity. You need them to make mistakes. Don't shield them from mistakes. You also are shielding them from learning what God can do in those mistakes. We had to do these things by myself when I was growing up. But now I can help my son and my daughter through it. You know what that means? That means he's already better than me. He already understands more about the kingdom than I did at that time. This is what we are supposed to be doing, going through the fires of the generation to get them more and more intense as it goes forward. 
that generation refines us. That fire, it refines us and it makes us more and more pure as the generations come and we get closer to the Messiah. Let's go to Hebrews 5, verse 8. Somebody say there when you're there. There. It says this. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. See, like Jesus, when we go through trials, we learn how to be obedient through those trials. The generational furnace must happen for the righteous. Amen. Sometimes, uh, I know I need to get punched in the face and go through trials to learn how to be obedient and to find myself pleasing to the Lord. And you know what all these things do? It makes us a kingdom of priests. Yeah. It makes you a priest, and it makes your children a kingdom of priests. Because we go through trials, and we're set apart totally for the Lord. We're purely devoted and purely refined. Did you hear what my son just said? Did you hear what this man who's standing beside me just said? He needs the trials. He needs the adversities because it allows him to test his mettle and know that he can fight through it. Wow. This is when you're beyond childhood and saying, I actually need these difficulties. Man, if we only could get a hold of this today and say the fight is good for us. God, I don't do good. If I don't have a lot in my day, I don't do as well. I need to stay busy. I need to stay active. See, I live a life right now that I don't have time to be lazy. But you know what would happen if I didn't want to engage in the fight? Folks, I would become lazy. I would turn from a diligent man into something that is not worthy of the kingdom at all. Maybe, your pro- maybe our problems are is that we're running from the fight. We're discouraged every time we get in a scruff. Every time we get in a battle, we're like, oh, I guess I shouldn't do that anymore. Let me walk away. The Lord's saying it's time for us to fight, church. Look in First Chronicles chapter 21. We've got just a few more scriptures to share with you. First Chronicles chapter 21 and verse 25. So David paid Aruna 600 shekels of gold for the site. David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. He called on the Lord. Somebody say, call on the Lord. Call on the Lord. And the Lord answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offering. Man, you guys know this. When you pay full price, your sacrifices and your offerings are answered by fire. David is more than just paying full price here for this moment. He's more than just atoning for the sins and sinful behavior. He's more than just trying to stop punishment and judgment from God on His people. He is revisiting the site of Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac. This very spot. He is purchasing the future site of the temple. Why? Because he's paying full price. He's saying, in this battle, I'm going to pay it all. I'm going to lay it all down. You know why? Because he is enlarging his tent. He's stretching open the gates of his, of his presence here. He is going after what God has. When you pay full price, you don't know what it's going to do for the generations. But you know that he's promised that it will impact the generations. I'm not sure if David understood in this moment. He could have gotten around paying full price. It was offered to him on a platter. He said, no, I've got to pay the full price. And it was the very place of the temple of God. What kind of full price sacrificial offerings do you need to give today? So that heaven's fire may answer when you speak. That you can be ignited in what God has for you. Man, in what areas do you need to not just kick the tires, but light the fires of God's presence? That is the question today. Can we put Deuteronomy 420 on the screen? It says this, But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron-smelting furnace, out of Egypt to be the people of inheritance as you now are. See, we have to treat trials like a friend. Because when we go through it, it refines us and it makes us a people of inheritance. Do you guys want to be a people of inheritance? Yes. You really do? Yes. 
then we have to love trial. We have to treat it like a friend and persevere through it. This is the goal for us, to be a people of his inheritance, and the Lord wants to refine us as we go through our generations. Amen. Let's go to Revelation 7, starting in verse 3. There. It says this. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. See, I want to be set apart like these men. Yeah, I know these are from the tribes of Israel, but I want to be set apart for the Lord like that. I want him to mark his seal of approval on my life and my kid's life. See, we need to be set apart. Amen. Guys, such an interesting thing to be standing here and hear your son start to be thinking about his own sons and daughters. He wants to be marked and he wants his children to be marked. Yeah, this is how this is supposed to work, church. Look it down just a few verses. Revelation 7, 13. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? Boy, isn't that the question that people ask when they meet someone in this church? Who are you and what planet are you from? Yep, that's right. I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They came out of their tribulations. These are people who walked through the trials and through the tribulations and never bowed their knee. They never hung their head. They kept fighting through the tribulation and they stayed on the righteous path. They stayed according to the standard. Did you hear the prophecy this morning? The reason that there's a flaming sword there is because God has said, this is the standard. We're not beating you down with this standard. We're saying, here it is. It's the only thing worth going a thousand generations with. If you slack on the standard now, what is it the next generation? They're going to slack more. And then pretty soon, there is no standard. We're saying, my God, just standard. He's worth it. He's worth every moment of difficulty. He's worth it. May the Lamb receive His just reward for His suffering. And may He do it in me and my son and my daughters and their sons and daughters. It's not worth it if you're not going to hold the standard high. This is not the conviction of just simply a few men that stand before you. It is the instruction and it is the very heart of God to do this. These men came out of the great tribulation. It's the trials that mark us. It's the tribulations that form us. And it's what we have to engage in. And we have to engage in it today. Guys, check this out. This is the blessing of being marked. Let's go to Revelation 14, starting in verse 1. It says, Then I looked, and there before me was a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him the 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on the forehead. See, I don't know if you guys caught that, but in Revelation 7, we just was told it was a stamp. It was a stamp of approval. But what does that look like? It looks like your father's name and your name being stamped on your forehead. The lamb's name and, the, and God's name stamped on your forehead. See, fathers are supposed to leave a stamp on their sons. Fathers do leave a stamp on their sons. You know, and this tells a lot about the 144,000's fathers. Let's go to verse 4. It says, These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They purchased from among men and offered as firstfruits to God and the Lamb. And no lie was found on their mouths. They are blameless. See, this is the effectiveness of that generational furnace. What were their fathers like to raise kids who were blameless, the Bible says? See, that's what we're aiming towards. We're aiming to always getting more and more pure, more and more refined, more and more burning for the Lord. And it takes us lighting that fire and starting now. Guys, this should be the lowest that your generation ever gets. This should be... This should be the farthest your generations ever get from the Lord. Guys, it starts with us, and we've got to grow this thing. 
we've got to gain some elevation until we get to the heavens. Look at what it says here in verse 5 that's on your screen. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. I can't help but think back to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9 when we begin this whole thing by talking about Noah and how he was blameless in his generations. See, from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, it's about becoming blameless and on fire in your generation regardless of the filth that's around you. That demands of us that we fight against everything that is trying to pull, everything that is trying to entangle us. Man, we are supposed to be marked as those who have a fire that's on the inside of us that is lit up for Christ. Turn with us to Ephesians chapter 1 in our final scripture of the day. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, it says this. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal. What a beautiful thing it is to be marked with the seal of ownership from the Lord. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Church, the simplicity of today's message is this. When we're saying that you got to kick the tires and light the fires, I'm saying that there has to be a fight inside of you. Man, it is so good to be in a season where God is blessing and He's moving and there are children. But you've got to fight for this. And you've got to fight every day. You've got to have a mentality that says, I'm going to go into this and I'm going to fight until I see the victory. I'm going to stop being discouraged by every hangnail that may come my way. Because I've got to reach a thousand generations with this. And if I have this right attitude, He's already sealed me with His Holy Spirit. I just need to turn my attention towards Him. I need to turn my gaze towards Him. This is not about trying to be strong enough in and of ourselves. Because goodness knows we've all tried that. We've tried to be more determined about doing something. And we failed miserably. We thought that we could shake ourselves and be like Samson and find some supernatural strength, and we failed. Don't stop fighting. Begin to fight with His promised Holy Spirit. Have the Holy Spirit engulfing you every day. Be so much in the Word. They took, there was a study that was done recently, and one-third of people who profess to be Christians, one-third... Read their Bible at least once a week. This is what people are admitting to, by the way. Much less if they're living less than what they're admitting to. No wonder we're weak. No wonder we get discouraged. Stand to your feet with me today. Church, we have to fight. The generations aren't just going to come and fall in your lap. You've got to fight for it. You've got to stand side by side with men of like character than you. And you've got to fight for it. You've got to look at them and go, man, you're you're starting to slack off. Come over here. Let's get close so we can fight together. Gabriel Harris, I want to fight with you. I want to watch you be successful in the generations. Andres, you and I are going to fight together, man. We are going to fight as families, Leslie. We are going to stand up and we are going to accomplish it. Because as we continue to walk in His strength, He will cause it to be in you. He will make it happen for you. He will cause His strength to be endowed and imbued into your life. We're going to pray here in just a second. And the way that we're going to start this altar time is if you've forgotten about what you're supposed to be fighting for. You've heard the sermons, but you somehow let it be different than what is motivating you every single day to go towards the Lord. We have got to get a spirit of fight in this house. Don't get discouraged. Don't get worn down. Fight for what God has given you. Fight for revelation. Fight for your family. Fight for the generations. 
Fight to find spiritual sons and daughters. You got to fight today. Mighty God, we come before you right now. Help us to fight, God. Help us to fight better than what we're doing. Lord, we need to be a people who will fight and overcome. Who will light a fire on the inside of us. And burn brightly for you. To die daily that we might live the real life that you have for us. Help us to fight, God. I want to fight better, Lord. No more discouragement about small, insignificant things. Help us to fight, Lord. To have a tenacity that will reach beyond us today. That will reach beyond and through our children to the generations, God. Help us to fight. Light that fire inside of us. Not just for a moment, but for a lifetime, God. Mighty God, move upon us today. Awaken us in our souls today. May the lullabies of this world that try to rock us to sleep be silenced in our ears. That we will awaken to the warrior cry. Lord, may we be like the fighter pilots and say, Lord, we have kicked the tires. It's time to light this fire inside. Lord, may we kindle the fire of your presence in our lives today. Move upon us, Lord.